0: Hey everyone, welcome to the Grace Capital City podcast. We're a local church in the city of Washington, D.C., and our vision is to see God's kingdom come through worship, family, and justice. If you're in the area or you want to find out more about our church, just go to gracecapitalcity.com and we pray that you are encouraged and blessed by this week's message. John chapter 1. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 14, the Gospel of John. It says In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. And through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. And the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father full of grace and truth. This is the word of the Lord. <clears throat> um, we have a, an eight-year-old and a two-year-old in our house. The eight-year-old was the one that brought up the Nintendo Switch and soccer ball, which I think is very apt gifts for an eight-year-old to give Jesus, right? Um, but our eight-year-old has gotten very obsessed with podcasts in the last couple of years, as many of us have. Um, and he ha- has a few different podcasts that he kind of cycles through, a few favorites that kind of go back and forth. But the one that I think is his absolute favorite, and I've, and I've talked about this with you guys before, is a podcast made by National Geographic called Greeking Out. And Greeking Out is essentially a kid's retelling of some of the most famous stories of Greek mythology. Okay, And they tell it in a way that is like super captivating. So think... Stories of Zeus and Achilles and Minotaurs and, and wood fairies and titans and all this kind of stuff. They every episode they tell a different story in a kid-friendly way of like Greek mythology. And I, I gotta tell you, the stories are very compelling. Like they really do kind of capture your imagination. Like you got stories, battles between gods and titans and Battles or stories about you know labyrinths and and people being stuck, heroes fighting to rescue people. I mean, they're really compelling stories. So this this podcast is kind of like background noise in our house, probably more than it should be. So you hear it a lot when you walk in, and we certain we start to kind of pick up on certain themes that come through these stories. I've become much more familiar uh, with these these stories of Greek mythology. But one of the themes that seems to ring true in these stories again and again that I've picked up is this theme, this idea, right, that the gods are up here and we are down here. We as the mere mortals on the earth exist kind of in our habitat and Zeus lives, you know, up on Mount Olympus. And, you know, Zeus and, and the pantheon of Greek gods, they're aware of our existence. They know we're there, and, and sometimes there's interaction. But we're, more than anything, we're kind of more of a nuisance to what's going on with the, with the almighty, powerful gods. And we're just kind of down here like ants on the ground. But the gods reign on high, right? There's this very consistent theme in these stories that the gods are high and above, and the people humans are lowly, right, down below. And so I, I often think about that, that theme, right, um, that echoes through these stories. When I read this particular passage, because we have to remember some of the context that John was writing these words into. I mean, it's a very poetic opening to his gospel, isn't it? A very famous poetic opening. And he's writing it into a world where there is a, a deep undercurrent of Hellenistic thought and idea, isn't there? A, a people, a culture that is very comfortable with the, the power of God or the gods, right? Very comfortable with the supremacy of God and the gods. Very comfortable with the distance, the separation of God. And the gods, right? John is is writing these words into a world where this was was certainly a prevalent thought into this world. And so we have to recognize this is a very radical story John is telling here. This is a, a radical narrative that John is suggesting when he begins to make these very bold claims about Jesus, okay, and I, a world that is comfortable. Gods are up here, we are down here. And all of a sudden, John comes in and he says, he says, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. Did you catch that? One of the radical claims that he makes straight away, is he, he calls Jesus the Word of God. Don't rush past that. He says, Jesus is the Word of God, which means Jesus is, is what proceeds from the mouth of God. The life, the ministry, the testimony, the witness and the power of Jesus. I heard one pastor say it this way. He said, he said Jesus is what God has to say. Jesus is what God has to say. Now now think about, again, in, in, a, in a culture, in a, in a world, even today, we're wondering, okay, what does God have to say? What do the gods want to teach us? How can we get that divine word? And John is saying, okay, well, if you want to know what God has to say first and foremost, look at Jesus. Jesus is what God has to say. He is the word of God. He is the message of God, the life of Jesus, right? So he starts off just pulling no punches, a radical claim about who Jesus is. And then he says something in verse 14 that in that world perhaps is even more controversial, even more radical than his first. He says in verse 14 that the word, that God has made his dwelling among us. You catch that? He has made his dwelling among us. Now, the Greek word for dwelling here is this word skaneo. skaneo. And I want to read this definition here because I think we start to, capture a little bit more of what John was teaching us about God's dwelling place. He says, dwelling, to fix one's tabernacle. To have one's tabernacle. To abide, just as the choir kind of sung over us, to abide or live in a tabernacle, right? To fix one's tabernacle. To, to have a tabernacle. Now, think again, right? Put yourself in the mindset of a a Gentile, not hard for most of us, most of us are Gentiles, many of us, but coming from a more Hellenistic mindset, right? You're kind of reading this and John is saying, okay, God is in Jesus tabernacling with us. So you're telling me, right, God has come off of Mount Olympus, he's come off the throne, he's taken a break from hurling lightning bolts and fighting titans, And he is now literally making a tabernacle, a dwelling among his people. That's what you're trying to tell me, John, okay? So from a a Gentile perspective, right, this is radical. But think about it from a a Jewish perspective, right? Many of John's readers were, 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 were Jewish people. And for them, perhaps this was even more radical. This is a people very familiar with the idea of tabernacle. A people who... The the idea, the story of the tabernacle is interwoven through their story. The years walking in the wilderness where they would literally set up a tabernacle to host the presence of God and then they would move and it would be a, a, a cloud by day and a fire by night that would lead them through the wilderness and the presence of God would move with them in this tabernacle. So whether you were a Gentile or whether you were A Jew, you're reading this and you're like, okay, John, this is a pretty big claim you're making here. You are telling me that in Jesus, God is now tabernacling with us. That in Jesus, God is now abiding with us. He has set up a tent, a dwelling with his people, right? Whether you're a Gentile or a Jew, this was a radical, a bold claim that John would make to begin his gospel here. And yet, for us, who call ourselves Christians, this is one of the central tenets of our faith. It is one of the most beautiful and profound things that we celebrate at Christmas, right? That in Jesus, what was once distant has become intimate, right? That in Jesus, what was once almost unapproachable, right, in, in the Holy of Holies or on, 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 on the mountains, you know, up there somewhere, or I always think of the story of, of God passing by Moses when he hides on Mount Sinai and he just sees the back of God walking away, right? What had been distant and unapproachable now in Jesus, has become tangible and close, right? It is, it is the incarnation of Jesus that we celebrate that tells us the story that God is now Emmanuel with us. He is with us. I, I love the way uh, Eugene Peterson, in his paraphrase of the message, he says it this way. He says, he says the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. Friends, God has moved into your neighborhood. The central message of Jesus is that God did not remain a distant deity. He is not like the Greek stories of pantheons of gods up on the clouds somewhere. He is the God of sweat and dirt and tears and blood and dust and flesh. He is familiar with the sufferings and the story of all of humanity. and He has dwelt and tabernacled among his people. This is the God who has taken residence with us that we worship i um <clears throat> I lived the first twenty eight years of my life in Australia, just in case you were wondering uh, the last sixteen i'm, I'm forty four now the last sixteen years of my life I've lived in the u s my my wife was born in Georgia but she grew up in East Tennessee and so we've been married nearly 16 years and we lived in Atlanta Tennessee for a short time then Atlanta and now in Washington DC for the last eight and a half years or so and so this is why I have kind of this weird hybrid accent thing going on and it comes in I, I like to say that it's half bluey half bluegrass <laughs> I wanted to test that joke out it went actually better than I thought all right let's stick with that one Appreciate it. Thank you for the laughs. Uh, but prior to getting married, we um, there was a season that we we long distance dated for two and a half years, okay? And I, I hear these people, these kids these days, they're like, well, you know, I'm in a long distance relationship, she lives in you know an hour away in another town. I'm like, listen, 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 listen. I'm talking cross-continental dating, okay? I I haven't done the math, but I want to say, you know, Chattanooga, Tennessee to Adelaide, South Australia is about as long as you can get. I mean, maybe somewhere on the South Pole is a little further. I'm not sure, but it was pretty far. And the era spoke to it as well, right? This is pre-smartphones, pre-Facetime, forget Zoom, right? This is pre-Skype. Do you guys remember Skype? Did Did that just die? Is that still a thing? I thought, this, I thought Skype in the pandemic would have had its moment, but it just, it didn't, right? So this is like, this is the stone ages of digital communication we're talking about here, okay? So we, we had, our, our secret weapon was a calling card. We had the old school calling card. It was one cent a minute, which is a great deal. And uh, so we could talk for an hour, 60 cents, right? Stay in touch that way. But um, we would also save up our money and we would visit each other. So I visited Jessica a bunch of times in the U.S. She visited Australia a bunch of times, and we would have like two weeks together or three weeks together, and it would just be this like glorious, beautiful time, you know, young love. We were just so excited to see each other. And then the days would go on, and you'd get to the end of it. And it's like, okay, and now we say goodbye again. And friends, we, have, I mean, we had a series of, you know, very movie-like emotional goodbyes. Like, just whatever your favorite emo song from high school is, imagine that playing in the background, last hug, last kiss, you know, in the airport, like, going around the corner, one see each other one more time. You know, I mean, that was... We had multiples of those, either in Adelaide Airport or in Knoxville, Tennessee Airport. True, like, Hallmark movie kind of stuff. Until... One day, one Christmas day, actually. One Christmas day, everything changed. See, you guys think Christmas day is just Jesus' birthday. It's not. It is also my America birthday, guys. Uh, You're welcome. Christmas day, 2007, was the day I moved finally to the U.S. It was a day like I actually moved my life here. I had gotten my immigration papers sorted out. I had sold everything I owned, which did not take long as a young man. And... In Adelaide, South Australia, Christmas morning, I jumped on a plane and just because of the way the time zones are, I still arrived in Knoxville, Tennessee after traveling for like 35 hours. I still arrived on Christmas evening in Knoxville, Tennessee and our lives had changed forever, right? This was a very dramatic shift in our relationship. We got married just a couple of months after that. But what I'll I, I say it this way. What had been a visitation had become a habitation, right? What was once a visitation, a moment, a beautiful glimpse, an encounter, right? That that had become a habitation. And I, I want to suggest, this is kind of what John is suggesting is happening at the Incarnation, right? That we begin to learn that God's plan is not just for a visitation. That what God is doing is not just a, a religious experience. It's not just a one-off encounter where I experience the power of God and I check that that, 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 that box off my, my religious checklist, right? Or something you do to feel good about yourself. What God is doing is a holy habitation. It is a holy habitation. It is a dwelling among his people, right? That his presence is with us and that what Jesus begins in the incarnation, Paul tells us later on, is a kingdom that increases and increases and increases, right? This is not just ending with Jesus, it remains by his Holy Spirit. And not only does it remain by his Holy Spirit, but there's a fulfillment coming that we read about in the book of Revelation where John tells us, well, well, really, John sees in his vision that this is where it is all going, a holy habitation, a holy habitation, a joining of heaven and earth. In Revelation 21.3, if you can put that verse up, he says, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. That word dwelling is the same word, skaneo, that John uses in John chapter 1. He says, I was tabernacling with you in the incarnation and there will come a day where the fulfillment, the fullness of heaven and the fullness of earth will be one. What Jesus begins in this beautiful miracle that we celebrate at Christmas, this visitation that now becomes a habitation, is growing until a final fulfillment when there will be, as we've sung... No more tears, no more death. And John says the old order of things will have passed away and heaven and earth will be one. Friends, the miracle of Christmas is that God has taken up residence with us. He is not a distant Zeus up on a mountain hurling decrees, just aware of our presence. He is not... A God that is only approachable in in the Holy of Holies or in in certain moments and encounters, right? But in Jesus and by the Holy Spirit, God is dwelling with us. He has taken up residence. He is tabernacling with his people. And and friends, it becomes even more beautiful when we move it out of just the cosmological and we we begin to consider it in in the personal, doesn't it? Because that means that if God has taken up residence with us, that means he wants to take up residence in your life. That means there is an invitation on the table for a walk with God, a dwelling with God, a relationship with God that is not just hearing a story or singing a song or attending a service, but an everyday, 24-7 awareness the presence of God. He, he's, he is tabernacling in your family if you let him. Right? He is taking up residence in your celebrations. He is taking up residence in your tragedy. He is taking up residence in every part of what it means to be human. That is the promise. That God did not remain a distant deity but he came and he dwelt among his people. And he is abiding With us. And so the invitation for all of us, I believe, is to have our eyes increasingly opened to what is already true. That He is here, that every moment is sacred, that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, and He will see His plan to fulfillment. And He wants to invite His daughters and His sons to become awake to His presence every day. And that's my prayer for you. It's my prayer for us. Is that we would know. We would be a people who know the reality and the nearness of God. That we would never relate to God as a distant Zeus on a mountain. But as a savior of flesh and blood and tears and joy who dwells among us even today. Amen. Amen. Let me pray for us. And so, Jesus, we bless you and we thank you for the miracle of the incarnation. We thank you for the radical shift from a visitation to a habitation, Lord. A God who is familiar with suffering. A God who understands the full range of what it means to be human. A God who was indeed a refugee. A God who was betrayed. A God who was in pain. A God who was hungry. A God who was tempted. Jesus, you are not divorced from any By your Holy Spirit, I pray that as we celebrate Christmas, as we go through all the the celebration, the joy, sometimes the sorrow that comes with holidays like this, the giving of gifts, the sharing of food, meeting family and friends, all of those things. Father, that we would have an ever-increasing awareness of an ever-increasing kingdom that you're establishing on the Open our eyes to the tabernacle among us, to the dwelling among us, to the joy of what it means to walk every day with a God who loves and knows and desperately desires a relationship with every one of us. We worship you, Emmanuel, God with us. people said together. Thanks for listening to this week's message. I pray that you know the presence of the Spirit, the love of the Father and the goodness of Jesus wherever you find yourself. God bless.